0: Well, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of I am, and we've talked about how God is the one who wants to bring his cover to our lives, to shield us, as he talked about with Abram. And then we've looked at how God showed up to be Jacob's guide, and he's our guide in life. He wants to guide us to the right places. He's our almighty, and we saw that in the story of Jacob as they worshiped at Bethel. And then we, the last two weeks, we've been looking at the life of Moses. We started with the idea that Moses found that God is his vision, and God really is the vision for our lives. And then we saw last week how God is... Our standard, and we looked at the Ten Commandments and kind of an overview version of it, and the big idea is that he says these are the the minimum things that we're supposed to do, not the maximum, but the beginning, the starting points for our lives. And as we accept those, we live that life that's a blessing. And the people of God said when they heard that, that's what we're going to do. How do you think that worked out? Yeah, we sometimes struggle with what we say we're going to do, don't we? You go from Exodus chapter 20 to Exodus chapter 34, which is where we'll be today, and what we find is during that period, Moses had returned to the top of the mountain and spent about 40 days up there hearing from God how to build a tabernacle, how to put together an altar, how to do uh, the bells that would go on the edge of the priest's outfits. I mean, they went through all this detail. Our God's a God of detail. We could have spent 10 chapters looking at that, but we're not going to. Not today, anyway. But while God had Moses up on the mountain for that series of time, the people of God were at the bottom doing what? Do you remember? They were praying and waiting. Yeah, not exactly. They were down there going, well, I guess Moses must have just left. He took off. He's not coming back. So Aaron, we want you to build us a God. Can you can you take our gold and and put together something we can worship? And they came up with, you know the story, what? A golden calf. Now, why in the world would you want to worship a golden calf? Is beyond me, I'm going to tell you. Those things are just, they grow up to be cows and they're just good for burger. You know know what I'm saying? But that's what they wanted to worship. And it didn't go so well. And God says to Moses, he's at the top of the mountain. He says, hey, we got a problem down there. You need to go down and take care of it. So he sends him back down. And you remember what happens. They get down there and it gets kind of, kind of... uh, uh, out, out of wax, if you will, uh, out of whack, if you will. There's, there are consequences. Just like any time we rebel against God, there's going to be consequences. But God is saying, I'm, I'll just take them out. And Moses says, wait, 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 wait! don't do that. Let's get it straightened out. And God begins to work. And what we find here today is not 40 days or so after the first covenant is made, God has to turn around and do what? Say, I am still your God. I need, let's renew this covenant. Let's walk together forward and let's do that right. So five things I want you to see before I hit you with three quick thoughts at the end and we'll be done, you know, no later than 2.30. We'll be good. Both of you are listening, good. All right, first of all, God returns Moses to the mountain. Now remember, God says after all this mess, he says, Moses, let me do this. I'll just get rid of all those folks and we'll start over. And God says, no, 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 God, don't do that. But the Lord then tells him as he gets back to the mountain, he says, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me at the top of the mountain. No one will come up with you. Let no one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. Now in the aftermath of all this serious rebellion, all these issues and problems that were going on with the people of God, God, they assumed Moses wasn't coming back and God almost did do it away with the people, but Moses says, no. And since the original 10 commandment tablets had been broken, and by the way, that was symbolic of the covenant itself being broken is why that happened. And God says, okay, let's start over. I want to call this a divine do over. God says, let's start again. Let's get it right this time. And God commands Moses to cut the two tablets, bring them with, and we're going to give a fresh start to the people of God. Now, over and over, the people of God. We're not talking about the pagans, y'all you know, with me. We're talking about the people of God are referred to again and again as stiff necked people. I find that fascinating. Unfortunately, I find that descriptive of me at times. But God wasn't going to limit them eliminate them. He was going to give them a second chance. But he gives them some stipulations. He says, Only Moses come to the top of the mountain. No flocks on the mountain. Bring the stone tablets. We're going to do this again. And what God was giving his people was this, a second chance to be faithful. I got to tell you something. I'm grateful for God's second chances, aren't you? That when we fail and we do, he gives us that second chance. We encounter God who's willing to give us the fresh start, to give us a new life when we repent. And we're going to talk about that at the end. In addition, there's going to be power in special places where we encounter God's presence. And what God is doing is bringing Moses back to the place they'd encountered him first and saying, hey, let's start over. Let's go back to square one. It's like they do in baseball. This is a baseball. Or in football, this is a football. This is the covenant of God. So God returns Moses to the mountain. Second, God reveals himself again. Look at verses five in the first part of six. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Now y'all let that sink in a second. The God of all creation descends in a cloud, in the Shema. And stood with him there in the Shekinah glory of God, shows up and proclaims the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Now we're going to stop there because I want you to see what happens here. We've read in previous chapters that we discover that God and Moses have had numerous conversations. This is not a first meeting between the two of them. But what we find here is he comes down as Yahweh. Coming down in a cloud, most scholars would agree that this is the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Shekinah simply is a Hebrew word that means this, the dwelling presence of God with his people. He wants to dwell with them. He wants to walk with them. He wants to talk with them. He wants to be with them. Sound familiar? It's what was supposed to be in the garden, remember? was that conversation. He wants to have that. And this is what happened when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments the first time. This is the same pillar of cloud that had called them and led them across the desert by the day in the desert. This is the pillar of cloud that stood at the tent of Moses while they were in the in the wilderness. This is the presence that would eventually fill Solomon's temple that day that no one could even stand. It was so overwhelming. This is the presence that appeared to Mary when Jesus was conceived. The Shekinah glory of God. This is the presence of God that was revealed at the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountaintop. This is God showing up and revealing Himself again. And by the way, my friends, there's coming a day that woes of us who know Him will see this revealed again, because He's coming again in His Shekinah glory to come and bring us to Himself. Though somewhat mysterious and a little bit difficult, to rationally explain at times, the presence of God does appear from time to time. And it usually happens when there's something amazing going to happen, something special going to happen, some special moment happens. And what God is doing here is something that I am so grateful for, that He is able to do this for us as well, is that He renews His covenant with wayward people. You realize just a few days before this, The people of God were down at the bottom of the mountain singing and dancing and worshiping a golden calf. And God says, no, no, this is who I want you to be. He wasn't going to lead them based on their goodness. You know why? They didn't have any. He's going to lead them on his goodness as we see in the next point. God then does this. He recounts his character. Look at verse 6b through 7. These two... Verse and a half could be an entire sermon by themselves. So we're going to rush through it. I apologize. Maybe I'll come back in another series later and we'll dig into this, but I want you to catch these in big picture real quick. He says this The Lord, talking about Himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clear but but will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the generation on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation you know i've heard people say that the god of the old testament's a mean old uh, uh, god that sits up in heaven trying to strike us down you ever hear that just take them to exodus 34 and point out to this this is who god is old testament this is the same god in the new testament here's who he is he is merciful I'm grateful for that, aren't you? He's merciful. One commentator describes him this way. He is tender, tenderfully, excuse me, tenderly pitiful. It's like when you look down at someone who is in just a terrible situation, a terrible place in life, and you take pity on them. You have mercy for them. You care for them. That's God looking at us. He looks at us with a mercy whereby he doesn't give us what we deserve, but what he wants to give us instead. Aren't you glad? If we got what we deserve, where would we be? But for God's mercy, we are able to have forgiveness. Second, he's gracious. Here is the, the idea of the character of God revealed as a gentleman stooping to help someone in dire need. You know, God doesn't need you and me, but he wants us. And he reveals his character to us as he says, I'm going to relate to you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to let you hear my voice. And God looks at us with mercy, and he doesn't give us what we deserve, but he gives us what, we, what he wants us. But grace is one of the foundational characteristics of the God of the Bible. You see, through repentance, we gain his grace. Aren't you glad? His grace is available. His grace is unbounding. His grace is there. He's also long-suffering. Third, this comes from a Hebrew word that has an interesting nuance to it. It's the idea of, get this, you you, you see somebody get mad and their their nostrils start to flare and they really start to turn red and they really get upset and really ticked off. You know what I'm talking about? we've, We've all seen those people in life. Because... Sometimes it's been us, right? But often it's others we see around us. The visual here from the Hebrew is simply this. It's God being depicted as slow to flare his nostrils. It's an interesting image when you think about it. You know, have you ever thought about God having a nose? But that's the visual that they had in the, in the Hebrew here. And when you stop to consider your sin, my sin, and juxtaposition, juxtaposition to his holiness, i got to tell you, a short fuse on God's part would be unexpected. He says, I've called you. I've saved you. I've provided you your forgiveness and salvation, and you're going to live like what? You all with me? He says, but I forgive you. I love you. I'm going to hang in there with you. I'm going to wait for you to repent. Fifth, he is a God who is forgiving of iniquity, Uh I skipped one. Amounting in goodness and truth. You know, God's truth knows no limits. His goodness is not like yours and mine. There's no limit to what he can do. Then he talks about three words. And I, I really struggle with these three words. I want you to see them right there. They're in verse 7 in the middle of the verse. There's three words that you're probably thinking, well, those are synonyms, aren't they? Iniquity, transgression, and sin. They're actually different words in the, in the original language. Catch this real quickly. Iniquity are those things that we do in a premeditated manner. That we say, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it whether it's right or wrong, because I'm going to do it. That's the iniquity. Transgression is the idea of rebellion, this ongoing rebellion that we get into sometimes. We say, well, I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do And then there's the idea of sin, and those are those things we do against God. Which one do you think is better than the other? None of them. They're all wrong, but God is forgiving of all of those things. See, God will forgive you if you repent of your iniquity. He'll forgive you when you repent of your transgression and he'll sure repent it. Uh, when we repent of sin, he'll forgive. Then sixth, he does though, hold the guilty accountable, but by no means he will clear the guilty. What he's saying here is this. When you reject the offer of God's forgiveness, when you reject the offer of God's fellowship, your guilt remains. You say, well, God will go ahead and forgive me anyway. He doesn't. He calls us to repentance. And when we repent, He then forgives. He doesn't just forgive because, well, you're such a nice person. I am going to forgive you. He forgives because we repent. And when we repent, He does. So God returns Moses to the mountain. God then reveals himself once again. He recounts his character. And then what does God do, which I think is fascinating? We sometimes think, well, if I go to God and ask forgiveness and I ask him to forgive my iniquity, my transgression, and I base all this on his goodness and his abounding love and all this kind of stuff, will he accept me or not? He will. He does. Look at verse 8 and 9. And Moses, God receives his response. Look at verse 8 and 9. Moses, what? Underline this word if you don't write it in your Bible. What did Moses do? Well, he thought about it. He kicked back and relaxed. He considered it. He discussed it with his friends. He got on social media and found out what other people were doing. Uh Uh-uh. Moses, look at this, quickly, quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Now, get the visual. He doesn't just bow his head. He gets down on the ground before God. And he prostrate, don't get that right word. Right word. He prostrates, not prostates. Prostrates. Those are different things. He prostrates himself before God with his face all the way to the ground. Did, Did you catch that? It says, "God, you alone." And he says, If if now, God, I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a what? Here's that word again. Stiff necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Look at the response from Moses. It's a clear revelation from God. And Moses has to respond. And there's you know, there's always a response when God shows up. Moses had no exception. And he bows himself, I think, literally to the ground, to his face, all the way down. Now, you're probably thinking, I don't know if I could get back up if I did that. Let me remind you, at this point, Moses is how old? Eighty. He probably walks more than most of us, a little more active than most of us, but 80. And he gets down the ground. You're thinking, if I got down at this point in my life, I'd never get back up. He gets down there in front of the Shekinah glory of God. And he's listening to the voice of God. And he's reminded of the character of God. And he said, he could have done this. Okay, yeah, God, I agree with you. It's good. No, no. He says, i got to worship. I've got to respond. I've got to get in front of God and say, yes, God, you're right. I'm wrong. Why? Because God's right and we're wrong. That's what you have to agree to. And then he prays this simple but profound prayer. Look at it again. I, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us for it is a stiff necked people and pardon our iniquity and sin. He asked God, he says, would you go with us And we're stiff-necked, we're slow, we're thick-headed, we're dumb sometimes, we're really stupid sometimes, God. But would you stay with us? See, Moses believed that the best way, not just for him, but for the people of God, was for God to be in the midst of it and to walk with them. For God to be their God and for him to be their people. And then God says, I'm still your God. Look at verse 10. Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as not, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that he, that I will do for you. What God says to them is this. I'm going to be Still, you're God. He renews the covenant. You're going, It's only been forty something days since the first covenant. Yeah, isn't that amazing how quickly a stiff necked people get themselves in trouble? It really shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because we do the same thing often. We say, Yeah, God, I'm gonna be faithful. We'll go to a camp, we'll go to an event, we'll go to a special service, and we'll just get all caught up in ecstatic worship and it's praise God and then a week later we're acting like complete fools. Because we have stiff necks too, don't we? People of God's, of Moses' day are not all that different from you and me. They had a tendency to wander. But thankfully, when we return to the Lord, He renews the covenant. He does some amazing things. And He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. I'm going to cause you to be able to dislodge the people in the land. I'm going to cause you to be able to see a whole city wall fall after you march around it multiple days. And I'm going to see this nation, this very group of people, they're going to dislodge those folks. I'm going to establish a nation in place, and they're going to be there for the future. And out of your line is going to come the promised Messiah, the one to bring you forgiveness. Pretty amazing stuff. As he says at the end of verse 10, an awesome thing I'm going to do. What do we do with this? I, I had about 32 things that I wanted to talk about here. Um, but I had to cut it down for sake of time. The first one I want you to see is this. In our brokenness, God calls to us. You see, when the people of God broke the covenant by choosing to return to idolatry, it would have been very easy for God to say, bye, I'm done with you. He offered that to Moses. If you read the text, you realize that Moses could have said, yeah, give me a new people. We'll start over. You know the problem with the new people versus the old people? They're just as bad as the old people. I hear people say, well, if I go somewhere else, it'll be better. No, I'm not talking about you, Harold. You're going because God's leading you. That's a different thing. But we say, if I go here, or I, go to, I go to another church, it'll be better. If I go to another town, it'll be better. If I get another job, it'll be better. You know what? Every time I've gone to a different place, I find the same old folks in the same in the new place. they just got different names. Sometimes it's a man instead of a woman. But the same people. So so what we got to understand, my friends, is that it's not the stuff around us. Usually the problem is where? In us. And so we've got to come to a place where we get to a brokenness and that God can call us out of that and bring us into a better place. And he wants to do something. Now, there were consequences from their choices. If you read the previous chapters, you find stuff like this happened. About 3,000 people were killed by swords by the Levitical priesthood. Yay, God. There's another one. I go, how in the world is that part of God's plan? It was. God also sent a plague on the people. Yay. Everyone loves the plague, right? I'm going, wow, what in the world is happening there? And yet God, through all that says, you're still my people. And in your brokenness, I'll call you out. And I'll work with you. That's where I'm reminded of Jesus' words. We prayed a minute ago. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I would love to understand the answer to this question. God, why in the world did you choose me to be a part of your kingdom? Some of you may have asked the same question. Why in the world did you call him to be part of the kingdom of God? You may be asking about yourself, going, why did God shoot? I know what I'm like. I know what goes through my mind. I know the things that cause me to trip up and fall and fail and sin and have iniquity and transgression and all that stuff. Y'all with me? We have that stuff and we go, oh my goodness, how can God use someone like me? But He does. Yeah, he loves us, doesn't he? You know, some things I can't explain. I just have to accept on faith. But in our brokenness is where God can call us. So the second thought I want you to see is this. How do we relate to God? Not based on us, but how we relate to God matters. You might want to write a sub-thought here. God, we relate to God based on what? His character That's how we relate to God. We don't relate to God based on our goodness. Why? Because our goodness is as filthy rags. It's worthless. But God's goodness, His character, is how we get to have a relationship with Him. We're told that the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament. And we find that He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But He won't, by any means, clear the guilty. sometimes we think God is this distant entity in the sky. You really can't know who He is. He really doesn't care for me deeply. Can I tell you something? If that's your vision of God, that is not the God of the New Testament or the entirety of Scripture. He is loving, caring, intimate, connected to us. And that's the basis upon which we relate to God. We need to understand what Paul was writing to the church at Rome when he said this, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every single one of us is born in sin. We live in sin and God of the way, we will die in sin unless something changes, which is this. We come in brokenness to God and say, forgive me. Gratefully, we don't relate to him on our character basis, but on uh, his which is way better than my character for sure. One more thought and I'll wrap it up. Where do we find forgiveness? In repentance. You're going, repentance? Can I tell you something? That's an old word, isn't it? It's kind of passe anymore. We don't use that word anymore. You know why? Because we don't like it. Repentance means this I, I, I was wrong. How many of you like saying that? Yeah, me either. I don't like being wrong. But there's a principle here we need to grasp. Forgiveness is found in repentance. That old-fashioned word, because here's what we struggle with. We want to do what's right in our own eyes. We want to do what's right to us. We want to do what we think is best. You know what? I have got to a place in my life, it does not matter what I think is best. I don't want to do what I think is best. I want to do what God says is best. Have I arrived in that area? No, but that's the goal, right? That we find to say, God, what's your plan? What's your direction? What's your thought? Because he used three different words to describe the things that are offensive to God. And by the way, it's all the stuff we keep doing. Iniquity, things we do in premeditated manner. Transgression, rebellion, intentional acts. Sin, things we do in, against God. And while each of those have a different feel and are at times, we think, oh, that's not as bad as the other. Every single one of them breaks fellowship with God. And the only way to fix it is repentance. You say, well, I asked Jesus in my life when I was a seven-year-old boy, and I'm good, still there. I got to tell you, repentance is not a once-and-done thing. It's something we have to continue to do again and again and again. We need to pray a prayer that says, God show me the stuff that I haven't repented of. And if you'll honestly ask God to show you the junk that you're hanging on to, He'll show it to you. And you'll have to deal with it. One of my first memory verses I learned, I've shared several of them in the series, but one of the first ones I learned was Romans six one. I learned it in the King James, but the ESV translates it this way. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. King James translates it this way God forbid. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? We are called to a higher standard. We're called to a better way. And what God has done here in this passage is renewed the covenant that they had already broken 40 something days after hearing it for the first time. Here's the standard. They go, okay, get us a calf. Let's worship an idol. What in the world? That's the stuff we do, don't we? And whether I commit a premeditated iniquity or step into some transgression or just flat out blatantly sin, all of these separate me from the presence and intimacy of God. The way out is repentance, the way to new life is repentance, the way to live a life free with Jesus is repentance. You say, well, that's old fashioned. Call me old-fashioned. That's something we ought to be doing on a regular basis is repenting of our sin to move forward. Maybe you're here today and you've never repented of your sin at all. Maybe that's the place to start. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you know Christ and you've never committed your life publicly like we saw this morning with baptism. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to make a commitment to become part of the fellowship here because you've done all that, but you're not connected locally, officially. We want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and worship, to be in your house, together with other believers. And Father, our prayer is that you would show us, Lord, so often we we break covenant with you. Sometimes we do it accidentally by not thinking through our actions. Sometimes we do it intentionally. Sometimes we do things that are just against God. Father, help us to learn to live our lives in a way that you are still our God and that you're leading us and that you're guiding us and that, Father, you're filling our lives with your presence. We pray for those who maybe need to respond some way this morning. We're going to give them that opportunity. Father, maybe we need to just remain in our seat as we sing, some sing and, and pray. Show us what we need to be. but God, we want you to move in this time. In Jesus' name.